0: Praise God, praise God. Hallelujah. You know, Ecclesiastes says, draw near to hear and don't draw near to offer up the sacrifice of a fool. You know, that's why we come near to the Lord, to hear. And the the word hear always gives the idea of doing, that you do what you hear. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because we know that James says, if you only hear, you deceive your own self into thinking you know. But you don't know unless you do. And when you do, then you show what you know. So we draw near to hear and take hold of what the Lord has for us. Amen. Amen. Have you ever watched a movie and they're in a shootout and one of the guys yells, I'm out, I'm out. He's out of ammunition. Any of you ever watched a movie like that? Anybody? Thank you. God bless you. This is, uh, you know, this is responsive. It's okay. Well, you know, when it comes to the things of God, you don't ever have to be out. When it comes to dealing with the devil, you don't ever have to be out. But you're not out. You don't run. You you do not not run out just because you're a Christian. Just like that person in that gunfight does not. He, he, he doesn't, he, he don't run out because he's a, he's a policeman, he's a detective, whatever he may be. Because he is that, it doesn't mean he's not going to run out. And just because you're a Christian, it doesn't mean you're not going to run out. You're only not going to run out if you fill up your arsenal. Amen. You've got to fill up your arsenal and have enough ammunition against your enemy. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Now, some people say, well, you know, all you need is just one. and That'll put the devil down. Well, here's what I found. That the more that you have and the more that you take hold of, the more faith you will have in that one shot. Because that one shot means nothing without the faith to back it up. Are you with me? So we want to grow our arsenal and make sure we have enough ammo because we have an enemy to deal with. And he don't ever run out. You know when he'll run out? When you put him out. Yes. Amen. 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 Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, for those of you that don't know and those on live stream, thanks for being with us today. But I'm here to announce to you that Pastor Nid and I are officially great grandparents. <laughs> Baby Atlas That's his name, Atlas You know, the more I hear these names I always wonder, yeah. what happened to the Brunos yeah. and the Lucianos I mean, where'd they go, you know I mean, I don't know, you know But his name is Atlas, and praise God, he was born September 1st they had, She had a September due date So September 1st came and he said I'm out of here Let me loose Amen So maybe that will be a sign of his life that he'll always be on time. (laughs) Praise God. Hallelujah. But then again, I don't know. I know some that were born like a month early and they're never on time. (laughs) But we always say it's because they're busy. (laughs) Uh, Hi, Pedro. Nice to see you today. Glad that you're out there. And um, let me see, Uh, come on, here we go, yes, praise Jesus, we praise him for the baby, healthy, mama's healthy, baby's healthy, and it's another boy, so we have one son, we have four grandsons, and now we have... A great-grandson, and another one due in March. You want to make a bet? <laughs> uh, but that just makes my wife and my daughter very special. You just have to convince the boys of that. <laughs> but really, all the boys love Mama. They really do. Amen. Of course, Mama's good to them. Hallelujah. Praise God. God is good. We're going to find our place in Leviticus chapter 1 this morning. I was going to say this evening, but it's morning. Uh, We have not gotten to see the baby yet. We will see the baby soon. So don't ask me any particulars about the baby. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But we haven't seen the baby because, uh, you know, they were up all night. She went through nine hours of labor. 19-minute delivery. Boom. <laughs> Glory to God. Amen. So, uh, so they were up all night, so they were really wiped out, tired. And, um, of course, they would have loved all the family to come by, but they needed a break. And, and that's the first thing my wife said. She just had the baby. She don't need company. You know, so, uh, so I think they came home yesterday afternoon, so we will get a time. We'll get to see them when they get rested up. Amen. You know, so just to review a little bit of what we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, uh, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. If you want to know where your heart is, just follow your money. Isn't that right? And we talked about how God is generous with the generous. Hallelujah. I like what Pastor Tim talked about in the 930 service. God's better than any financial advisor you might ever have. You know, every financial advisor will tell you, put money here, put money there, store money. And there's nothing wrong with all that, but God's financial advice is give it away. If you want more, give it away. And you know, that's one of the hardest things for our flesh to do. Isn't that right? Especially when you work hard for stuff. I mean, my goodness, give it away, you know. Well, um, if you worked as hard in being a good Christian as you did for your money, you would understand giving it away. All depends on what we work hard at. Isn't that right? Amen. But generosity is not always about what you give as far as the amount you give and things like that. Generosity is all a condition of the heart. You know, Psalm 23 talks about the man that said, oh, come and eat and drink. And he says, but his heart's not with you. You know, it looks like he's generous giving and all this stuff, but his heart's not there. He might have ulterior motives, you know. And, um, you know, we've dealt through the years in church with people like that that would want to manipulate and try to control and all this other stuff uh, and, and use money to do it. But um, it's never worked. Of course, you know what the Bible says, right? Feed the sheep. Milk the goats. (laughs) That's what the Bible says. (laughs) All right, let's go to Leviticus 1. You didn't like that, I can tell. Leviticus chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Praise God. It says, Then the Lord called to Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying... I think he said we froze up. Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when any man of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of animals from the herd or the flock. Verse 3. And if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer it a male without defect. He shall offer it at the doorway of the tent of meeting, that he may be accepted before the Lord. All right, now drop down to verse 10. All right, so he's talking about a male without defect, right? Offering from the herd. Verse 10 says, But if his offering is from the flock of the sheep or of the goats for a burnt offering, he shall offer it a male without defect. All right, so this is not about just grabbing any old animal and just offering it up to God. God was expecting the best. Without blemish. Isn't that right? Why was God expecting the best? Because he gave his best. He knew he was giving his best. Isn't that right? And uh, they're giving their best was a sign of connecting with God, giving his best. Okay? So in order to do this, they had herds, they had flocks, they had all kinds of livestock, right? So they had to correctly look over all of their herds, all of their flocks, and search for the one that was without blemish. So guess what? They had a plan. They had to think ahead for this to happen. They had to search for, seek out, and discover a lamb, a sheep, or a goat without any blemish. They had to look for the one that was better than all the rest. Amen? So this is not an event that happens on a whim, okay? A lot of planning and forethought went into deciding and preparing to bring a sacrificial gift before the Lord. Now, sometimes it would take two weeks, and sometimes it took a year to get everything ready to bring a sacrificial offering to God. And that's the way God designed it. Because he sees the entire event. He don't just see the burnt offering. He sees you searching. He sees you looking. He sees the whole thing of your, your um, uh, intense desire to be pleasing to God. And he looks at the whole event, all the planning, all the preparation. He sees it all as part of the sacrifice. Because you had to give up of your time. You had to give up your effort as well as the sacrifice. He's looking at the whole thing. As your sacrifice to him. Unlike, um, we'll go over to Genesis. Genesis chapter 4 for a moment. Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to read verses 2 through 5. Genesis chapter 4, 2 through 5. And you know the account. This is Cain and Abel. Okay. And it says again, she, which is Eve, gave birth to his brother Abel. Cain's brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. Verse 5. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became angry. Okay. You know, and what did God say, if you remember, what did God say to Cain? If you do well. But he said, sin is crouching at the door, but you must master it. Now he's telling this to Cain, who's not born again, separated from God. And he's telling Cain, you have to master sin. And what is our problem? The want to. That's the problem. Cain didn't want to, just like we don't want to at times. It doesn't matter if you're born again, filled with the Holy Ghost, have all the power of God in you. If you don't want to, it'll just lie dormant. He'll not force you, make you, or insist that you do anything you don't want to do. He will honor your free will. That's why it's called free will. He gave you free will to choose. So Abel came with the firstlings of his flock. So Abel's got a flock. All right. So Abel is going through his flock and finding the best to bring before God. Now Cain... (coughs) Now, some people say, well, Cain wasn't a keeper of flocks. He was a tiller of the ground. So God has no regard for the, the, the ground and, and, and all that stuff. That's wrong thinking. Because if you go back to verse 3, it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord. That means when Cain finally got around to it. It means he didn't want to do this. But he came and he just grabbed some from the ground and just threw it at God and said, here you go. And this is why God did not regard Cain's offering. Cain did not care about bringing the best of anything. He didn't even want to give God anything at all. So, he's got an attitude about giving. I know you've never been there, but he had an attitude about giving. And uh, God had no regard for his offering because Cain did not honor God in his offering. Cain was sloppy, did it when he got around to it, and just gave God any old thing. Kind of like those people that send used tea bags over to missionaries. I know, but it's true. We're done with it. Maybe they can use it. They can at least get one dunk out of it. (laughs) All right. God is concerned with our intention in giving. Your desire and your preparation of coming before God with your giving. Everything you have to do to pull the money together in order to give, all of it, in addition to the gift itself, is considered part of your sacrificial gift to God. He's looking at the whole thing. Because we know giving goes beyond money. There's effort, there's time. You know, you can give time to other people and you're giving to them. Isn't that right? You know, you might say, you know, somebody needs help on their house or whatever and you're going to go help them. That's giving. So giving isn't just money. But God's looking at when you give to him, he's looking at your whole intent, your desire, your preparation, everything. So this is not about just dropping an extra bill in the bucket when the bucket comes by. Right? Amen. Historically, when people offered sacrificial gifts to God, they also took the opportunity to call upon the Lord. And they'd offer him a petition. Now this started, you know, a long, long time ago in, in, in the Old Testament. And other religions have picked up on it. You know, um, whether you come to God and drop a couple of coins in a box, light a candle and say a prayer. Whether you're buying a little gold leaf and putting it on the altar of Buddha and then making requests afterwards. It happens all over. All religions do that. But God's the one that started it. Are you with me? It's amazing. It's amazing how... And I have to admit, because I was like this before I got saved. But when I lived overseas, I was very intrigued with Buddhism. I had my Buddha necklace on that my father-in-law gave me. And, you know, I was just intrigued with Buddhism. And i look, you go through the, uh, the, the, the king's former palace, and they had the Emerald Buddha Temple in there and all the temple grounds. And they would have all the drawings on the wall about Buddha and how Buddha has really helped Thailand all through the years and how Buddha has delivered them from their enemies and just all kinds of things. And I thought it was just a wonderful story. But I could care less about Christianity. And yet Christianity is the one that started it all. And everything else is just a counterfeit. Are you with me? So, they would make their offering, they would bring their offering before the Lord, and they would burn it on the altar, and they would stand in front of the altar and say to God, this is what I'm asking you to do. And if people needed God to be extra generous with them, they would bring a very generous offering. And even back then, people understood that God responds generously to those who are generous with him. Amen. Amen. I knew a couple some years ago, back in the early 2000s, and this couple knew about a man that was coming to do a service. And they were before the Lord as to what they were supposed to give in the offering. And what they had in their heart to give was well above what they had in their hand. And they had to believe God for the seed to come in for the meeting. And <clears throat> this was their best. Because this was, this was not part of their normal giving, okay? It was not part, let's say, I've got my investments. I've got my bank accounts. I've got this. I've got my retirements, okay? And that's my flock, But now there's something very special that's even above the flock. I find the greatest part, best part. You understand? So they're believing God for an offering because God gave them a mount, a figure to put in the offering, and they didn't have that in their hand. So this is beyond their checking account, savings account, whatever they may have had. You understand what I'm saying? So they had to plan. They had to have forethought. They had to seek God to find what was needed to give. And then they had to believe God for that to come in. By the time the meeting came by around so they could give it. And they gave $1,000 in the offering. And they asked God for help where their daughter was concerned because she was not wanting to take her parents' advice in life. And she was headed down a wrong road. So they really wanted things to straighten out for their daughter, and that's what they were believing God for. And they asked God about what to sow, and God gave them a amount and the thousand dollars. And to some people, would say a thousand dollars isn't much, but if you only have ten, it is. You know, it all depends on where you're at. You know, you might have five hundred thousand dollars in your bank, and to give a thousand, no big deal. But you know. There's the woman with the mites. So they were going to obey God. And they were going to give according to what God told them. And God moved. They sowed that seed. God moved. The daughter listened to him And changed the course of her life. And I know the family. And I know the daughter. And the course of her life was changed. That was back in 2001. Today, happily married, has four children, serving God. And of course, their parents are thrilled. Amen. Amen. You understand what I'm saying? All right. Genesis chapter 8. Now, you might be thinking, well, I don't believe God just wants you to pay money to get something from him. Well, hold that (laughs) thought. And don't let it stir up in you because you're wrong. But hold that thought. Genesis chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his son's wives with him. I don't know. It is. It's it's because it's the holiday weekend. Computer don't even want to work. It says, and every beast and every creeping thing and every bird and everything that moved on the earth went out by their families from the ark. And then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. And the Lord said to him, I will never again curse the ground on account of man for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth and I will never again destroy every living thing as I have done. All right? And while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Hallelujah. There's your answer to global warming, okay? And all this climate change nonsense that wants to steal all your money. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. I don't know about you, but I'd rather believe God than Al Gore. I don't know how you feel about that, but that's the way I feel. I suggest you listen to God. My suggestion. You don't have to. So Noah, getting ready for the sacrifice, the first thing he does is build an altar. Building the altar is part of the preparation for the sacrifice. Now, that takes planning. That takes some forethought. Unlike pagan gods, okay? Pagan gods were given animals, and they were given food. I mean, you can go into the Buddha temples and everything, and they've got... We were over at a meeting one time uh, over in Thailand, and we were with, you know, Pastor Datha, right, from Savannah. So we're over there with her and her husband in, in Savannah and we come out of, we were, we were with Terry Mize over there and we were doing a pastor's meetings for, for the ministers. So there's about 800 people in the room and the service is over and we come out and there's a bowl of fruit there on the uh, stand. And Pastor Data goes, oh, how nice, they put food out for us. And she goes to grab fruit and Pastor Nid hits her on the hand and goes, don't touch that food, it's for Buddha. <laughs> so she thought that it was put out for us, <laughs> which is really funny. What, you know, if you don't know the customs, you don't know that. Just like if somebody gives you a gift over in Thailand, you don't open that gift until you get home. You never open it in front of the person that gave it to you. Yeah. So you have to know those customs. It's just like if you, you know, we have um, Ottomans that when you sit in a chair and, and you put your feet up on an Ottoman, you never do that and point your foot at somebody. Ooh, not good. And you got to know these customs or you could get hurt. <laughs> So with the pagan gods, just like that with Buddhism, they would put food out or they would give animals and all for the sustenance of the God. But our God doesn't need sustenance, okay? And what was it, verse 21? might have been verse 21. It says, The Lord smelled the soothing aroma. Okay, he didn't need the sacrifices for sustenance. The smell of the sacrifice is noting man's generosity. And when he noticed man's generosity and thanksgiving, he said, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. Because now man is being generous and thankful. Are you with me? See, that's what God smells in your offering. He needs your money like he needs what? He don't need nothing, you know, and um, your money is not going to sustain him. It's not what it's about. And if you think you're giving your money to an organization, to a charitable group, to a church, and, you know, and it's for that church, your giving is wrong. And this could be why you don't receive back because you're not giving to God. You have to be giving to God. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. 2nd Samuel chapter 24 and verse 10 2nd Samuel 24:10 Hallelujah It says now David's heart troubled him after he had numbered the people so David said to the Lord I have sinned greatly in what I have done But now, O Lord, please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have acted foolishly. Okay? So God sends Gad, who is David's seer, to speak to him. And God gives David three choices. He could either choose famine in the land... For seven years He could choose three months of being pursued by his enemies Or he could choose pestilence in the land This is because of his sin See, because And this is what people don't understand The leader of the nation Is responsible for the nation This stupid stuff About what they do just doesn't matter The leader of any nation Is responsible for the nation Even the religion of Tao knows that And it's important who's in that White House. It's important who's running things in your land. It's important who you vote for. It's important for who are judges you put in position. This is all important, because the leaders of the land are responsible for the land. Verse 14. And David said to God, "I am in great distress." So let us now fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. Do not let me fall into the hand of man. So David is leaning on God's mercy because he knows man has none. So to be pursued by the enemies is not a good thing. Okay? So he said, let the pestilence come because I have sinned and this is a consequence, but I'm going to lean on your mercy, God. Okay, well, what happened was 70,000 people fell in the land because of the pestilence. Not because they did something wrong. It's because the leader of the land did something wrong. Verse 18. So Gad came to David that day and said to him, Go up and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana and Jebusite. Okay, so... He directed, was directed by Gad through God, by God through Gad to build an altar. Okay? The place that he tells him to build the altar is owned by somebody else. Now David's the king. He could just do what he wants to do, can't he? He don't even have to pay you for the land that he wants to take from you. He's the king. Isn't that right? Verse 22 and 23. And Aruna said to David, Let my Lord the king take and offer up what is good in his sight. Look, the oxen for the burnt offering, the threshing sledges, and the yokes of the oxen for the wood. And everything, O king, Aruna gives to the king. And Aruna said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. All right? So, Aruna is willing to give everything to David. Whatever he needs, he's willing to give it to him. And to most Christians, that is a dream come true because it's free. The Christian's favorite four letter word free. Are you with me? Verse 24 and 25. However, the king said to Aruna, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, which cost me nothing. So David brought, bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. Thus the Lord was moved by prayer for the land. And the plague was held back from Israel. Amen. So although the offer of the man to David was very kind to give to David, David understood a very important principle with God. It would not be a sacrifice if it didn't cost me anything. It would not be a sacrifice if it didn't cost me anything. You know, we don't want to be like Cain and just throw a little something and go, well, here, I'll just give you a little extra here. See, that's a Cain offering. You don't want to do that. Those kind of offerings is not going to bring results back into Well, not the kind of results you want. Hard attitude is of such great importance with God. Are you with me? So God responded to David's generous sacrifice and the pestilence was miraculously ended. God was so blessed by what God did that the piece of land David used to offer the sacrifice eventually became the very site where the temple of Jerusalem was built. Amen. (laughs) Glory to God. Amen. Amen. A sacrificial offering is going to cost something. Time, money, discipline, decisions, effort. But number one, it's going to take putting yourself on the side. You got to choose to walk in love. Offer up your own body as a living sacrifice. You know, we, talk, we, we, we sang that song, um, I Live My Life for Worship. You know, well, that doesn't mean you walk around all day going, oh, glory to Jesus, hallelujah, praise God, praise God. That's, that's not living a life of worship. Living a life of worship is what it talks about in Romans 12, 1 and 2. But offer up your body as a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual service of worship. See, it's offering up, it's, it's getting you, it's making yourself walk the line and walk in the way that you're supposed to walk. That is worship to God. And that. Takes discipline, time, effort, renewing the mind, putting things under control, and putting your own self, your soul, and your unrenewed part of you on the side and say, No, we're taking control out of our spirit. Isn't that right? So, just as in the account of David, we see something very significant about the attitude that we need to have. When we bring sacrifice to God, and it's one reason we talk, we've talked about honor, honor in the sanctuary, honor and reverence during giving. You know, it's not a free for all. Uh, oh, they're going to take up the offering, so let me check with so and so and see what they're going to do after church. No, no. Your giving is part of worship to God. It's a time of worship, uh, honor and reverence to God. But if you don't have reverence and honor in the sanctuary, you won't have it when you give. Now, I appreciate your honoring God and the attention you give to his word. But when we say amen, that doesn't mean the service is done. The service is not done until we're walking out that door. Are you with me? And even when we're walking out the door, it doesn't mean any wild, crazy thing can go on. You're still in the sanctuary. You know, it's like one time, it was after a Sunday night service some years ago. It was probably back in the early 90s. And we were in a different building, renting a building. And um, it was an evening service, Sunday night service, and Pastor taught the service. So after the service, there was two ladies that came out, and we were, I was standing like I do here, but I was standing in the hallway and greeting people as they were leaving. And they said to me, uh, "You know your church is out of order." I said, "It is. Why is that?" Because women are not supposed to be speaking in church. I said, "Well, you're talking." <laughs> well, they didn't like that, you know. <laughs> but I was very serious about it. And all I needed to hear was, what do you mean? That's all I needed to hear. If you would have pursued it and asked the question, we'd have gone down that road and settled the issue. But you got ticked off, and you don't want to hear anymore because you figure you already know it. And this is what happens all the time with people. Because I have ticked off more people than I could probably count. (laughs) And I don't do it on purpose, but if you would just Ask a question, we could settle it. But people, they get annoyed, they run by their emotions, and it's like, that's it, I ain't, I'm, I'm done. Well, you didn't even start. You're done. I mean, I've been in so many, many situations, and I have been in situations to where I have sat there and looked at the other person and said, will you ask me the question? And they won't. I'm like, okay. Then you figure you already know. Now, what I just said is contrary to what you said, but you don't want to know why. Because you figure, I'm wrong, you're right, and you're gone. Okay. You didn't ask. You should have asked. Why? why well, you might say, well, pastor, why do you wait for them to ask? Why don't you just tell them? Because asking means you want to know. You don't ask, you don't really want to know. If you don't want to know, I'm not going to have to tell you. I'd love to tell you. I'd like to tell you. I could tell you. But you didn't choose to ask. Hello. Which again goes back to the thing of honor. Okay. A real sacrifice is always going to cost us something. Yet God doesn't need anything we have. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he owns the hills too. Isn't that right? Heaven is paved with streets of gold. You know why he doesn't use concrete? Why does he use gold? Now what do we pave our streets with? Concrete and asphalt. How many of you have really invested in concrete and asphalt? No, because it's not important. We pave our streets with it because it's just not important. We ride our cars over it and everything else because it's not important. Why does God pave His streets with gold? Because it's not important to him. What's important to God? We are. People are important to God. A, 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 A gate in heaven is one big pearl. Son, try hanging that on your neck. (laughs) He doesn't need your stuff. He doesn't need any of it. What does he want? Your heart. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Amen. 2 Chronicles chapter 1. 2 Chronicles chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Now we're into Solomon, David's son. You know, Solomon is a son of David and Bathsheba, right? He's the one that wrote the virtuous woman that he learned from Bathsheba, which you don't, when you think of Bathsheba, you don't think of a virtuous woman. But she's the one that taught that to Solomon. 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Now Solomon, the son of David, established himself securely over his kingdom. And the Lord his God was with him and exalted him greatly. And Solomon spoke to all of Israel, to the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and to the judges and to every leader in all of Israel, and the heads of the fathers' households. And then Solomon and all the assembly with him went to the high place which was at Gibeon for God's tent of meeting was there which Moses the servant of the Lord had made in the wilderness. However David had brought up the ark of God from colath jerem and to the place that he had prepared for it and he had pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. Now the bronze altar which Bezael, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made, was there before the tabernacle of the Lord, and Solomon and the assembly sorted it out. And Solomon went up there before the Lord to the bronze altar, which was at the tent of meeting, and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. He went to the altar and offered up a thousand burnt offerings. Now, this isn't taking a thousand dollars out of your wallet. This is a 1,000 burnt offerings. So this is a big deal. Solomon knows that if he's going to run this nation, which is God's nation, he's going to need God's help. Solomon is between 16 and 18 years old. He is not arrogant. He's not an arrogant little 16-year-old. Like, he already knows everything. You know, if you have teenagers, you need to get them to do everything while they're a teenager, while they know everything. Because once they grow up, they're going to realize they don't know nothing. So get them to do everything while they know everything. Who wasn't there? Anybody? Yeah. So he's not arrogant. I'm a 16-year-old. I'm the head of the nation. I'll tell you what. No, no, he's not arrogant. He's very humbled. And he's asking for help from the Lord in running the nation. So the first thing he does is bring an offering to the Lord 1,000 burnt offerings in a single day. This is the biggest offering that had ever been offered in history in a single day. Now, you just think about achieving this type of an offering, this undertaking. Solomon has got to plan weeks in advance. Possibly even months in advance. The very best animals had to be selected. This isn't just like line them up and just throw them up there. No, this is selecting the best animals. And not just from Jerusalem, but all over the land of Israel. So all the animals now have to be transported to the city of Jerusalem. All right. So now you've got corrals and you've got to move all these animals and they've got to hold them. Now, once they get there, they've got to hold them in in corrals or in pens. And then all the animals have to be cleansed. And finally, they had to be clean. They had to be killed and prepared for the sacrifice. This takes some preparing. Solomon has planned this before time that this is what he's going to do. So to pull it off from beginning to end, it was going to require thousands of workers. For Solomon to offer so many sacrifices in a single day, he had to invest a great deal of thought, time, and money. And all of this was done for one reason, to call upon the name of the Lord. He wanted to be generous with God because he needed a generous response from the Lord. Verse 7 through 10. And in that night, God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said to God, You have dealt with my father David with great love and kindness and have made me king in his place. So now, O Lord God, your promise to my father David is fulfilled for you have made me king Over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. So give me now wisdom and knowledge that I may go out and come in before this people. For who can rule this great people of yours? So God shows up and he doesn't come to give Solomon anything, he comes to ask Solomon, What do you want? And the Lord is not telling Solomon what he needs to ask for. He's not saying like, hey, I'll tell you what, it'd be good if you just pick this. He's not trying to guide him into what he needs to ask for. He's not instructing him on what he should do. God has come and very simply says to Solomon, what do you want? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that God coming to you and saying, what do you want? I mean, this is the God of the universe in whom there are no impossibilities. And he comes to you and says, what do you want? I am here for you. What would you have me to do? Ouchie, mama. I mean, can you think of that? My goodness. How touched do you think God was by Solomon's sacrifice? By the time he put in, by the effort he put in, by the resources he needed to put together for the sacrifice. That God would come and say, okay, what do you want? My goodness. Verse 11 and 12. And God said to Solomon, because you had this in mind. Did we read 10? Okay. All right. He's always talking about leading the people. He says, because you had this in mind and you did not ask for riches, wealth or honor. Or the life of those who hate you. Nor have you even asked for long life. But you have asked for yourself wisdom and knowledge that you may rule my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge have been granted to you. That was simple. It didn't take thousands of years of study. Wisdom and knowledge is yours. Gave it to you. Boom. And I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings who were before you has possessed, nor those who will come after you. Amen. Amen. So God is so impressed with Solomon, with his sacrificial giving, but he's really impressed with Solomon's sacrificial asking. Pastor Tim talks about the 930 service. Why is it that in the last days men's love will grow cold? Because they're so self-centered, self-absorbed, self, self, everything's about self. You look at Solomon, nothing was about self. It was about the people. He said you didn't ask for the life of those that hate you. You didn't ask for long life for yourself. You didn't ask for riches and honor. for your, You didn't ask for anything for yourself, and it was all about the people. In other words, God was impressed because all Solomon cared about was what God wanted him to do. Oh, if you could just get a hold of that, that God is impressed when all you care about is what God wants you to do and succeed in it. That when, you, when, that is the, this, when that's what consumes your life, God is going to be moving. See, if that was your life, you would be living on the edge of your seat. But that's not our life for the most part. And that's why we're not on the edge of our seat in our living. And we started off the year talking about living on the edge of your seat. Well, here it is. See, here it is. This is what it's about. Living for God. Giving him your life. Fulfilling his will. Walking in his ways. That that is the full desire of your life. That if he comes to you and says, what do you want? It would be wisdom to fulfill your will in my life. Period. Amen. Amen. He said, God said to Solomon, because you had this in your heart. If you had this in your heart, if we could only operate more out from our heart instead of our emotions, what a blessed people we would be. So the Lord grants him his request of wisdom and knowledge. But then he goes exceedingly, abundantly beyond. Why? Because God's glory and grace is unlimited. Amen. God is generous, and he will always, always outgive the most generous. Amen. And again, well, as we've talked about, generosity is not just about throwing stuff around. Not about throwing money around. You know, um, We were in a restaurant last night, and uh, just like normal, just sitting there eating, and I saw these people walk in, and they sat in the booth behind us, and I said to Pastor Nid, I said, I think that's the woman that's a cashier at the barn sitting back here behind us. So she looks, she goes over, she sees and says hello to him, and all. she comes back, she goes, let's buy him dinner. I'm like, well, I don't know. Really, because I, I just didn't have anything for that at that particular time. But she did. So the more I just connected with what she said, I'm like, yeah, okay, let's do that. But we didn't go buy, rest- we didn't go buy dinner for everybody in the restaurant. We didn't stand up at the cashier and go, whoever comes by, here, just here's my card. just take care of it. No, we didn't do that. You understand? See, because there's a difference between giving and throwing. We don't throw. When you throw your seed, it will not come back to you. But when you sow your seed, it will grow and produce a harvest. Amen. Uh, Where are we at? In chapter 7? No, go to chapter 7, verse 5. Everybody good? Okay, we're bringing this down. If you would stop asking me about all these stories, I wouldn't have to answer, wouldn't go there. <laughs> Verse 5. Now Solomon offered a sacrifice of 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. Just the king, thus the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. All right, so this is the dedication of the temple. Now, on this account, there is a owner of a very large slaughterhouse. And they said that even with today's technology, this would be impossible in one day. Even with today's technology. And he said it would have required months of planning from Solomon. It would have taken thousands of workers to accomplish it. And it was such a huge event that it had to be so well thought out and orchestrated. So therefore, when they were building the temple, Solomon is already thinking about how am I going to bless God for giving us this temple and bless him and invite him to come and be in the house? And you remember the dedication of the temple and the cloud moved in, the the, the priest couldn't even stand up to minister and they all were worshiping God and the presence of God just came into the place because he honored that which Solomon did. God sees the whole process, months of planning, workers involved, getting all the resources, all the work from start to finish. He sees the whole thing as the sacrificial offering. So let me just say this in line with that. We know that on October 31st, Halloween, we always have something called Harvest Festival, and we do it for the community. But we know that there is, day, there is at least one day. Uh, of course, in-house, there are days of preparation. Then there is a day of building, and then there is the event, and then there is the day and so much day and days of tearing it down and putting everything away well god sees the whole thing he sees the whole thing he's looking at the whole thing as a sacrifice and an offering are you with me solomon's sacrifice was truly an extravagant expression of his heart See, this is how big. Why was his offering so big? Because his heart was so big before God. Verse 12. It says, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. So God responded greatly to Solomon, to his sacrifice, to his giving, to his big open heart before the Lord. Amen? Amen. 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 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's walk over to the New Testament for a little bit. Don't worry, I'll have you out before the restaurants close. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 10. It says, now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. All right, he supplies seed for who? Not the thrower, but the sower. He supplies seed for the sower. So if he supplies seed for the sower, we can believe God for seed to sow. Isn't that right? So when we start believing God for seed to sow, then we start looking for it to come in. And it might come in a portion at a time, a little bit at a time, depending on the size of the seed. But as we're diligent to put that aside, you know, seed comes in, I say, Lord, what is this for? And he could say, well, that's for such and such. You know, we put it on the side, we do not touch it. And then more comes in, we put it on the side and do not touch it, right? And then the whole seed comes in And when the whole seed comes in now, all of this preparation is building your altar. See, now that it all comes in, now I come up to God at the altar of preparation. And I sow my seed to him. And God sees the whole process from the time you started believing God for seed to sow to the time you started looking for that seed to come in to the time you were diligent to put it on the side a little at a time and not touch it and you're building your altar. See, that's all building your altar. And then when it all comes in and it's all there now in your hand, you're that, on that altar and now ready to give sacrificially to God what you did not have to begin with. And you know what the temptation is, right? The temptation is when the money comes in, well, I could use it for this. Well, you know, this came up. Well, you know, now I have to take care of this. That's the temptation. That's the devil that's come to rob your seed. We've had many, many instances where we were believing God For a certain situation. Sowing seed for a certain situation. And money would start to come in. And Pastor Nid might say. You know we can use it over here. I'm like no. We were believing God for it over here. Now if we need something over there. We'll start believing God for that. But you don't take this to use that. Because you said and told God. This is what we need the money for. You don't use it for that. God will consider you a liar. And you'll not be able to be trusted. Yeah. This is serious stuff. Yep. When you tell God, this is what I'm believing God for and what I need it for, I don't care if your house fell to pieces. You don't use it for anything other than what you said you were going to use it for. Yep. Yep. We take care of it. But what about this issue? Start believing God for that issue. Are you with me? This is important. This is how to give correctly and how to receive rightly and keep things going. As long as the earth remains, seed time and harvest will not cease. But if you take that harvest and use it wrongly, it's not going to work. You're in works now. Works don't work. Are you with me? Acts chapter 10. We'll wrap this up Acts chapter 10 verses 1 through 4 it Says now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort It's my favorite verse in the Bible <laughs> A devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jews and prayed to God continually And about the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. Verse 4. And fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. What did we see through the Old Testament? That there was giving and there was asking. There was giving and then there was asking. There was giving and then there was asking. And what does it say here? Your giving and your asking has ascended as a memorial before God. Solomon's extravagant giving brought extravagant answers because God is generous with the generous. And you understand that when we use the word generous, there are different levels of generous. If all I have is $10, 15 can be generous. If all I have is $50, $100 could be generous. If all I have is $1,000, $1,200 could be generous. It's above what I've got. But I can believe God for seed to sow. I can believe God for seed to sow. I can declare it. I can take hold of it. Put it in my heart. Put it in my mouth. Well, how long do I have to say it? Till you get it. How long do I have to believe it? Till you get it. What are you believing God for? You may need seed to sow. We see the pattern all through the Old Testament. We see it here with Cornelius. We saw it in 2 Corinthians 9. Huh? No matter where your level is, if I'm at a $10 level and 15 is generous, or if I'm at a $1,000 level and $1,200 is generous, or if I'm at a $10,000 level... And 15,000 is generous, wherever the level may be. Doesn't matter. It's about believing God, building faith, and stretching forth your level. And not being happy and satisfied with where you're at and wanting to press in for more. But if you quit being thankful, if you've quit being grateful, and if you're now just living for God, just out of a ho hum, humdrum relationship. That ain't gonna grow. It's not gonna grow. Life will not grow, nothing will advance. This is not a take it for granted life. God is too awesome, God is too precious, God is too everything. to take him for granted. He's worth honoring, respecting. In fact, Psalms 115 says, to those that fear the Lord, whether they be small or whether they be great, that he will prosper you. But those that reverence him. Amen. Are you with me? One last verse. Proverbs 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. I know sometimes these things are hard to talk about, and sometimes they're hard to listen to. But you know, sometimes you've got to have that heart to heart talk. You ever have to have a heart to heart talk with your kids? You know, it's not always easy. You ever have to have a heart to heart talk with your wife? your husband it's not always easy I used to believe God for the rapture just get me out of here (laughs) obviously I wasn't believing I'm still here Proverbs 3 9 and 10 honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce or we could say from the first of all that you produce So your bonds will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, who wrote that? Solomon wrote that. The man that knows something about being generous with God. Learned it from David, who would not offer something that didn't cost him something. Isn't that right? David and Solomon were both very honoring of God. And when we honor God, he honors us. When we are generous with God, he's generous with us. But it's always a matter of the heart. You know, in 2 Corinthians 9, it says, um, that, let each one give as he's purposed in his heart. You know, you can purpose in your heart to give. One of the biggest things that I try to purpose every time I give is to hear from the Holy Ghost what it is I need to give. I purpose to hear so that I would obey. Let me try that again on this side. I always try to purpose to hear what the Holy Ghost says to do so that I could obey. Yes. Now, why would you want to do that? Because every single one of us in here is so short-sighted. You know how short-sighted you are? You can't see past 1210. You have no idea what 1211 will bring you. You have no idea what 1215 will bring you. But God knows... He knows what it's going to, the later of the day is going to bring you. He knows what tomorrow is going to bring. He knows what next week. He knows the plans of the devil against you. He knows everything. And he knows what you need to sow so that you can have the life of that seed harvest in your life when you need it. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. See, when it comes to giving, it comes to prayer. See, it's all supernatural. When you start operating in the natural, you are cutting yourself off from sowing. And now you're throwing. It's not about your mind, your emotions. It's about what's in your spirit. It's supernatural. God is supernatural. And everything he does is supernatural. You're a supernatural new creature in Christ. And you should operate and function in the supernatural at the same time. Not the spectacular. Not the Twilight Zone. Not the Star Wars Uh, Hollywood, spectacular stuff. It's supernatural, operating out from your spirit and following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen, amen. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Just lift your hands to the Lord. We bless you, Lord. We give you glory and honor. Thank you, Lord Jesus. There is none like you, worthy of all praise, worthy of all honor. You are the glorious King, the mighty God, the everlasting One. We bless you this day. We bless you every day. Oh, we thank you, Lord. We're a grateful people. We have a heart of gratitude for all that you are, for all that you do, for all that you've done, and all that you have planned for us. For we know that it's good, acceptable, and perfect. We thank you, Lord, that you're a holy God, that you are one that never changes. You're always the same. We can always depend on you, lean on you, trust in you. For we know that your word never changes. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never pass away. We can trust in you, lean on you, look to you. Our hope is set on you with a great, expectation that your word is true and it comes to pass in our life. We thank you, Father. We bless you and we honor you and we glorify you, Lord. Father, whether it be in the room or whether it be in live stream, Father, those that are watching online, Father, our gratitude comes up to you right now in offering to you, Lord God, in all that you are. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Father. Bless you, Lord, bless you, Lord, bless you, Lord, bless you, Lord, bless you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word today. Father, we thank you for what you've deposited inside of us, for revelation that it's come alive to us. And Father, we'll take these things and we'll meditate on them, we'll ponder them, we'll get them into our thinking, that they will drop down into our spirit. Father, and they'll come out from our spirit. For those things that we meditate on will develop us and grow us. And then they will come out from us and they will create in life for us. And Father, we just thank you so much. Thank you for the operation of the supernatural word of God. Thank you for the supernatural operations of your kingdom. And Father, I thank you that we can walk in, live in, take hold of And be that which you've made us to be, to have that which you've given us to have, that to do the things you've given us to do. Thank you, Lord, that by your grace, as the Apostle Paul said, I can be what you've made me to be. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. As we come before you now with our giving, we thank you so much for the opportunity to sow our seed. To bring in our tithe. Oh, Lord, we do so with gratitude. Father, we we are cheerful, joyful givers, Father. That in our heart right now, we're dancing before you. Oh, we thank you, Lord God. Dancing before your throne for the wonderful, wonderful plan of salvation. That not only did you desire that I would be saved, but you also desire that I come to the knowledge of the truth. That I can live this life walking in the truth of your word and have the results. Father, I thank you for it. Thank you, Father, that our giving, Father, is based on what your word says about tithing, about sowing, about planting. And I thank you, Lord, that it will produce results back into our life. But we do it because we honor you and we love you. And that which comes back into our life, Father, we will be before you to say, what would you have me to do? With that, would you bless me with? Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. 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 If you're giving uh, by credit card or by cash, there's an envelope in the seat back in front of you. If not, the ushers will get you one. If you joined us again on live stream, any place online, thank you so much for being with us today. It's always an honor to share the word with you and believe God for that word to go forth, go to you and go in you to develop you and then to create out from you. For it is the power of the word of God doing its work in you. If you'd like to sow seed into the ministry, you can go to our website, newlifefamilyworship.net and you can click on the giving link. And I thank you in advance for any seed that you would sow. And as Pastor Tim said in the 930 service, if there's anything at all that, we, that you would need prayer for, just reach out to us. Let us know. Our prayer teams are always ready, standing by to pray for you, for God to meet your needs. Amen.